Hello, everybody out there on the internet. Welcome to Weekly MTG, the only weekly Magic the Gathering Twitch show where you can pretend that you're actually at a weekly meeting. Uh, I'm Steve Sanu, here, here, uh, here with, uh, hey. actually, not Blake Rasmussen. Not Blake I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm Daniel Ketchum, Senior Franchise Art Director for Magic the Gathering. And uh, Daniel has graciously agreed to step in this week to fulfill some hosting duties, so I'm very happy to have him here. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. You can see the rundown at the bottom of the screen. You can also see our guests. We've got George Fan. Uh, game designer, that, who you might know from uh, a, a pretty popular game I've heard called Plants and Zombies. Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. Plants vs. Yeah, Zombies? Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's Plants vs. Zombies. We're very happy to have George here today to talk to us. And of course, Mark Rosewater, who, uh, who works on a game called Magic the Gathering. Magic versus Gathering. Magic yeah. versus Gathering, of course, of course. Uh, so, George, a lot of people uh, know you from Plants vs. Zombies, They and if they don't, George was the designer of Plants vs. Zombies, a wonderful, wonderful game. Or if you haven't played it, I highly recommend it. Uh, but you're also a really big Magic fan. In fact, you uh, designed a Magic card for Magic 2015, right? Yeah, it was 2015, uh, yep. And that was uh, Genesis Hydra, right? Yes. And I think we actually have an image of Genesis Hydra that we can show you. Uh, so this is a really cool, cool card that sort of combines a lot of really interesting things that Green does, big creatures, uh, revealing cards on top of your deck so you can put a permanent into play. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into Magic and sort of the, the path to having you design this specific card. Okay, so we have to go all the way back. Okay, <laughs> all right. Revised. Whoa! Yeah, that's okay. when I started. And I think it was that, okay, so I was, I was watching some kids from another school. This is back in, when I was in high school. Sure. And I was watching kids from another school playing this game, and it just it looked like like it looked like they were having fun, so I was like, they're they're saying things like I cast Shivan Dragon. I'm like, whoa, I cast Shivan Dragon. I want to cast Shivan Dragon too, <laughs> right? So we've all been there. Yeah, the game just looked really fun for some reason. I was just like, okay, we have to try that game because I can tell. I just felt like we were gonna have a good time playing it, so I convinced two of my friends to each buy a starter deck. Mm -hmm. And at our next sleepover, we just, you know, at the beginning of sleepover, we opened, we had other activities too. Right. But we ended up just playing Magic all night, right? <laughs> and then the first card, uh, the rare, the first rare I opened was uh, Force of Nature. It was this, this, this green 8-8 trample creature with like, the, the mana cost had like four green forest symbols in it. Oh, sure. And I was just like, what is this? Like, 8-8, like eight, <laughs> eight, that's bigger than anything else. Like, I mean, I think... They've gotten bigger magic creatures since then, but yeah, that was the hugest thing you could cast back then. Well, I mean, yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah. it was the biggest thing. It yeah, yeah, at the yeah, time yeah. was the biggest thing. So yeah. I was instantly drawn to that, and I was like, I have to cast this creature, and that kind of like started me on this path of like being a green mage through and through. Like that's like that <laughs> that made me drawn to green from the very beginning, and kind of like why later I designed Genesis Hydra as a green yeah. card. And so yeah, that was just like that's how it started. Um, we instantly like got like. Like the game just like totally drew us in. Um, we didn't know how to play back then. Everyone just like would open cards and add. Like people would buy new packs, but people right. would just add to their their decks. And yeah. they just play play like five color, all five colors of Magic. No no one had any idea of like, oh, you could you know you only need to play sixty cards. You can just cut down to sixty. No, like we just played like with stacks of like. We were playing Battle of Wits. Right, I was about to say, Battle, Battle of Wits was, was made thing, specifically right? for your play. And then you obviously. could tell who spent more money in the group by just how tall the stack was. <laughs> because they got more booster packs. Yeah. And I, I like to think I was the first person in the group because, you know, like the internet wasn't really big then. So I was the first person in the group like say, hey, you can 
you can cut down to just one or two colors and go for like a 60 card deck. And so it was like, once I did that, it was like an arm race. Everyone else in the group did that too, right? <laughs> oh, we got to yeah. optimize. Yeah, we gotta, yeah. Yeah. Uh, really so, Mark, tell us a little bit. The M15, for those who don't know, was mm -hmm. a set where uh, we invited a lot of different game designers we did, to we did, yes. design cards. Uh, what led to, to you wanting to have George be involved? Well, basically what happened was um, the idea came out. I mean, I, I was not, this was not something I directly did, but um, I think Sean Main, which was um, okay. somebody who used to work here, Sean actually was the person who was the contact person. And we came up with the idea of it'd be really neat to have outside people, people that don't normally design magic. What if we went and had each of them design a magic card? And so uh, you were one of the first people I think they went to. Um, yeah. And, and George, we knew George played magic, and so we, we reached out to him and said, hey, George, you want to make a magic card? And I think... His answer I was, was like, <laughs> of course, <laughs> like a dream come true. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, I think I think one of the coolest things about that uh, that initiative, right, mm -hmm. is that all of if you go if you get the original M15 printings, yeah. your name is actually yeah, on that so card. It's yeah, it's yeah. designed by George Fan. Yeah. Uh, as a as a Magic player for uh, since revised, uh, what was that like for you to see your name on a Magic card that actually like, came in a booster pack? Yeah, the, yeah. like it was. Like, it's designing a magic card is something like I never thought would actually happen. Like, so <laughs> opening those packs, seeing like the name designed by George Fan, that was just like the best thing. Like, it was, yeah, it was well, just so cool. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, that, uh, you know, you never thought you would get designed. So, not only have you designed a magic card, now uh, you're actually in the building as a contractor working yes. on. Some of some of Magic's future stuff. Yeah, it's like dreams coming true on top. <laughs> <laughs> dreams coming true. It's like, like I've awakened from. It's like, well, how does that work? Like, if you're in a dream and a dream comes true, like, does do you awaken from the? Yeah, I don't know. No, like, it's like, awesome. no you're in a dream yeah. and it's an awesome things are happening. And then you wake up and realize you were in a dream, yeah. but that new thing's also awesome. Right. So it's just like nested dreams of awesome things. Yeah, that's that's how I describe my time here. It's nested dreams of awesome things. <laughs> <laughs> nested dreams yeah. of awesome things. We should get pillows made. Uh, that's that's amazing. Like uh, the other thing is, I think your work really influenced some of the folks in the building even before you got here, before you designed uh, Genesis Hydra. Even because Mark, yes. as I recall, there was a story about a card in original Innistrad. Yes, I made a card in Innistrad. So one of the things I realized when I was making Innistrad was that there were zombies in Innistrad, and zombies in Innistrad were black and blue. Uh, and then it dawned on me that uh, we could make something that was had protection from zombies. Uh, in green, because green was the enemy of both black and blue. And then I'm like, wait, it could be a plant. We can make a plant <laughs> that has protection from zombies. And uh, so we made it, and uh, anyway, it was very exciting. I remember uh, when I showed it to George. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you were. I, I instantly <laughs> went out and found 100 copies of that card. I still have, yeah, I still have 100 copies of Gray Bramble, because. I was so tickled by yeah that that reference. That was so cool. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was one of the things that just kind of worked out perfectly. In that, um, one of our favorite things when we do references is things in that it looks like a normal magic card. You wouldn't yeah. necessarily know what yeah. it is, but if you know the reference, you get the reference, and it's it, those are those are really fun to do. Yeah, I've I've always enjoyed looking for references in in a lot of the games that I play. But mag magic is always that special one where when you <laughs> when you see the reference and you get the reference, it's so cool. And I think that's why. Uh, for me, at least, Magic 2015 was so special to see those mm -hmm. uh, designed by mm -hmm. cards, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because uh, it was it wasn't just George; it was a lot of different. Oh yeah, people a whole bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was just so cool. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about as we 
transition forward. What is it that you are doing here for Wizards for Magic? I mean, I know you can't say yeah, too much. Spoilers. And yeah. Like, yeah, what we're are not, you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah say, say very specifically <laughs> to the internet on a live stream show exactly yeah. what, no, don't yeah. do that. But, mm. <laughs> but uh, generally, talk about a little bit about what it is that you're, you're doing here uh, while you're a contractor. So I think we've talked about this. I'm mm -hmm. getting, I'm doing like, you guys are letting me do some of like what you think I want to be doing the most, right? <laughs> and we're mixing that up with like, hey, here's some stuff also which we think you can, you know, your expertise can help us the most too. So I'm trying to do a mix of both. Like mm -hmm. um, Nessa dreams of dreams coming true. That's That part is like <laughs> getting to actually design magic cards. Sure. That's just like, that is the best thing ever. So I am on three different design teams and each at a like, different yeah, stage too. A, yeah, that, that's the cool part. I get to experience like the three early design stages. Like so, there's there's exploratory. That's first. Mm -hmm. um, that is. We're doing fencing. I'm on that team with you. Yeah, fencing yeah, we're exploratory. Doing, yeah. And that's that mostly involves like, oh, I'm coming up with. I'm like trying to come up with wild and crazy things because it's explored. That's like when you can do that kind of stuff. And it's like Mark telling me, no, we can't do that because of this. By the yeah, and then like, oh, maybe this this shows some promise. That that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other, one of the teams I'm on is a vision design team. Yeah, diving, diving vision design. Yeah, that was my first official design. Like, like I first got here and I was just yeah. kind of shadowing Mark, like following him to meetings. And I, I went to a few design meetings for diving and I always had to say, people were like, what, what are you on? I'm like, well, I'm not officially on the design team yet, but I've been going to a lot of diving uh, meetings, yeah, and that that was the first time I could say like Mark like officialized it at some point. He was like, yeah, we had a yes, team member say, yeah, <laughs> we had a team member that had to move off the team, and I realized there was an opening, and so I went and said, can George be on the team? They said yes, so I said, okay, George, it's official. No, well, I mean, he was going now. to all the meetings anyway. So yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but that was the first time I felt for real, and like I, I could just say the shorter sentence of, I'm on the design team for diving, which was yep. super cool, and then the last one I. I um, there is a set that seemed like very, very cool to me, and I was like, oh man, I really want to work on that. So I kind of like started also going, <laughs> I started like also like doing their, going to every single one of their play tests, yeah. right? And then, um, yeah, that ended up being uh, Cricket, which I'm doing, uh, I'm on the set design team for, oh, so it like cool. kind of like cool. rounds out all, like I get to experience all, all facets of like design at all different phases. So the strategy of being on Magic Design teams is just show up to the meeting yeah. Yeah. and eventually yeah. say, okay, you're on the team. That's, yeah. <laughs> you just keep showing up till eventually like they just give up and they say, yep. Yeah. Just, You've been here for enough meetings, you know enough. <laughs> but yeah, so George right now is on exploratory, he's on a vision design, he's on a set design. That's awesome. yeah. no, no play design for George though. No, I, I don't think I'm, I mean, I'm decent at Magic, but I don't think I'm good enough to, to yeah, to be on a play design team. Well, the, the yeah. important thing is that you you are you are here. You're designing stuff. You're doing what you like, and yeah. uh, and I I personally would love to see what a play design uh, play design by George Fan would look like. <laughs> <laughs> the green cards are really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll just like subconsciously boost all the green. That's kind of what. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about your your magic beginnings. Uh, let's talk about your game designer beginnings because sure. I I'm always curious when we when we talk to people both inside and outside the building how they get started on the path to becoming a game designer. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers are interested in that too. So mm -hmm. how what how do you how did you become a game designer? Like when did you when did you start designing games and when did you consider yourself to be uh, in your mind at least a game designer? Okay, so we can go we can go all the way back. Yeah, let's go all the way back. In the beginning. In the beginning. <laughs> George 
<laughs> he, his father, bought him an Apple II computer. All right. And I started playing games on that, and I realized, hey, that, you know, like it kind of like the the programming language on Apple was very much exposed. It was basic. So it was called basic. It wasn't a basic. Right. We knew what you mean, yeah, but like, yeah, thanks. Right, yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, being a kid and being kind of like naturally like, you know, inquisitive, and I just kind of like explored like making little games in basic. Um, they were not good at all. What was the uh, first game you made? One of the first ones was this game called George Fans Are You Dumb? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and all, all it was was. It would ask you on the screen, are you dumb? <laughs> if you hit, if you press no, it would ask you again, are you dumb? <laughs> and if you hit yes, it would repeat over and over, you are dumb, you are dumb, you are dumb, you are dumb, you are dumb. <laughs> yeah. I've advanced wow. pretty far okay. <laughs> early, early game design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that got me into kind of like, oh, okay, well, here's how you, because I also kind of like, um, there was this, Magazine called Three Two One Contact back then. Oh yeah, I remember Three Two One Copy the yeah. code out of the back of the magazine mm -hmm. and like kind of learn how like games work, like very very small games work. So that was that, and then um, also there was because uh, I was just you know I just loved games ever since I can remember. So there was this plan. Me and uh, my best friend in third grade, we had we had this plan. We were like, okay, while everyone else is like playing handball on the on the playground, we would we would you know, sequester ourselves and have like binders and paper and we were like, let's design some like video games, right? Because back then, uh, back then video games were more like, th these are things like kids play, like grown-ups weren't really, like that was like the, the, kind of the start of video games and a lot of games were like, here's stuff for kids to play. It hadn't been accepted as like a, mm. a thing grown-ups can play like widely yet. So we were thinking, okay, grown-ups don't know what kids like. But we don't know how to program, so <laughs> like for real, right? So yeah. so let's design, let's design games, so when we grow up, like let's design games as kids, so when we grow up, we can use these designs. Oh wow! And and make them because we know what kids like. That right? shows a remarkable amount of foresight. <laughs> like that's wow. So if I go to your desk right now, will I find like the binder? <laughs> and that's how Plants vs Zombies right. came okay. to be. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think my creativity fully. Okay, so. My friend, all of the designs were like really creative and awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, there was one where it's like, it was called Refrigerator Raid. And, you know, it was like you were an ant and you would go into a refrigerator and fight like all the different kinds of food inside, inside the refrigerator. And then the sequel, you were a banana and a strawberry as a two player co op game and you were fighting <laughs> against the ant. So it was like, it had, they wow. had some like cool stories okay. to them. All of mine Fine. were like, Take George's favorite game at the time, <laughs> change the name, <laughs> and innovate like a little bit. Yeah. So one of my favorite games was Contra, and then when you played sure, Contra, yeah, absolutely. Was like basically like Aliens plus Rambo, mm -hmm. and it was just like super super awesome side scroller, right? Mm -hmm. um, my game was called Massacre, <laughs> and it just starred these two like two like buff dudes running through the jungle with machine guns shooting at aliens, also. So it was pretty much Contra. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Except my innovation was you would get you would get locked into a room, okay? And aliens would come jumping at you from all angles and then it would flash on the screen, massacre zone, massacre zone. <laughs> 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 okay, but the awesome thing is like 
Contra, the, the series didn't start off very silly. Right. It got more silly as, like, as, as time went on. Mm -hmm. um, to the point, okay, so in my level designs for this early, for Massacre, I had the stage where you're going to the desert and you would ride on these robot camels, which is kind of outrageous, right? Robot not, camel yeah, sounds yeah. really great, actually. That sounds awesome. We've gotten to the point in Contra where Contra has robot camels. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were just so, ahead yeah. of your time then. Yeah, that's, I know. that's really and what like, it was. Like I said, I was, I was yeah. making these designs and, and saving them for yeah. you know, a, later, a later point. So then, um, so then, yeah, that was like very early on. And then I grew up and I, I, had, a, I had a college degree in one of the three things my parents would deem acceptable, which sure. is computer science, sure. right? Yeah. That, that's, that's legitimate for, for my parents. And, um, but going into it, I didn't realize like, so I started off college as a uh, pre-med. And I had no idea. I thought computer science was like, was like more like, I was so naive. Like I thought computer science was more like, here, do electrical engineering, like mess with like microchips and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize computer science, like programming is just what I was doing back when I was a kid with like messing around basic, right? It was more, more complicated, George fans, you are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it took me basically failing my organic chemistry class and having to like reconsider what I'm doing, because yeah, that was one of the other paths. Like the two, the three things were acceptable is like to be a doctor, mm -hmm. or to be a programmer, or yeah, and to be a lawyer. I think those are the three things my, my parents would have been okay with. And <laughs> and um, I failed being a doctor, so I was like, what else can I do? And I was like, oh wait, programming is like something I like doing anyway. So I, the last half of college was me like getting you know getting a computer science degree, and then so. What drew me to games was that, like, so I've been all, all over the board. Like, um, when I was a kid, if you'd, you'd ask me what I wanted to do, I'd say, like, I wanted to be an artist. So I spent a lot of time drawing when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, I wanted to be a musician, I thought. And yeah, and then games was a way, like, for me to kind of, like, combine all these things I love and to be able to, like, kind of have the skills matter in, in each. Like, so. Yeah, starting starting out in the games industry, I was actually a programmer, um, but I got to do a little bit of art, a little bit of music here and there. And then um, when I transitioned to becoming a designer, was just when um, it was another thing of like, you know, George, you're not that good of a programmer, but you can design pretty well. <laughs> so it's just a matter of like finding what you, what you're good at, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I just like this this weird path of ending up as a, as a the designer. I, I mostly just focus on design nowadays, so, yeah. So you, uh, you know, we're gonna, obviously Plants vs. Zombies is probably your most uh, well-known yeah. game. Uh, but I, I discovered your work, uh, when, when you, we, we talked about this previously, on a little game called Insane Aquarium. Yes, that little the, game. The whole, yeah. the whole concept <laughs> of this game, I love this game, uh, okay. is you're like feeding fish. Like that's, yep. that's basically the game, right? Yeah, like, you feed fish, you fight aliens, and then you, the fish in this game poop money. So that's oh. all you have to know. That's yeah. all you have to know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you were PopCap and San Aquarium, then Plants vs. Zombies, which uh, became sort of a runaway success. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't think I could have ever predicted how crazy, like, big it was going to become. Like, I don't think, I think, if you think that, like, 
if you think that any of your games are going to be that big, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. You just, you can't, right? It's just unfathomable, right? right? And yeah, so while we were making it, it was like, even the people at PopCap, they're like, who, like, what is this game, right? Like, it's so <laughs> weird. It's it's a weird game, but it was even weirder for like what PopCap was doing at the time, like, like. What is this game with like why are why are zombies fighting plants? Right? <laughs> that seems so random, and it was like it was more like because PopCap's really known for their their casual stuff. It was more hardcore than any like it, it's not a hardcore game, but it's like leans toward that side more than any PopCap game before it. It was a level above sort yeah. of what they were doing at the time. Yeah. So I think I think it was a surprise to everyone in PopCap like how well that game did i always think it's really like it's obviously mark you you grave bramble mm -hmm. uh modeled after the plants and plants versus zombies yeah. but i i think it's interesting you, you that uh that people were thinking like who, who is this like why why are plants fighting zombies when in magic that happens literally every day it's like why is a merfolk <laughs> holding like driving a car while holding a a sword and you know attacking a like magical being that mm -hmm. is an ally to you to your opponent on the battlefield why is that happening? <laughs> and it's just like, no, it's it's a game. That's that's why, right? And before that, there was in. I remember before Grave Ramble. Yeah. I remember really liking the Golgari yeah. guild because they mm. had literal like, I think Shambling Shell was one. Yeah. Like, the creature type plant zombie. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. We were think, actually. Yeah. We were talking. George and I were talking about uh, the the conflicts of the colors. And yep. it dawned on us that the black-green conflict is plants versus zombies. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I raised my hand and I'm like, I have a suggestion. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so you, you did Plants vs. Zombies, very, very successful. And you, you also uh, did uh, Octogeton, too, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that came about, um, I started doing game jams, and one of them I did was Ludum Dare. That's a 48-hour game jam where one person has to make a complete game in 48 hours oh, and uh, it appealed to me because remember how I was saying I like to do like the art and music too so mm -hmm. that, that yeah. would make like in 48 hours one person has to do the art the music the programming and the design for a game right? does that wow. sound as hard as it is, is that actually as hard so, as it sounds so making a game takes many people many years yeah mm -hmm. so coming up yeah it, it's it's like I mean like other so for the for instance the equivalent of like they have game jams for like music kind of mm -hmm. things, the equivalent of that would be coming up with a piece of music in 30 minutes, like or an hour, they would give you that. Wow. So, so the, a game in 48 hours is, yes, like that is like, you have to keep the scope really small, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, your game's not gonna be super polished, you just have to come up with like the nugget of what's fun. So, so the way they keep you honest is they give you a theme at the beginning of the jam. And the theme we got for that the one, that one was uh, evolution. So I don't know why I just instantly thought of, okay, I want to make a game where you start off with just a few of something and then you keep adding more and more to that. And I just came up with the idea, I don't know why my brain thinks this way, of an octopus with two tentacles. And you'll, the upgrade track is you evolve like more and more tentacles. So you go, you go from two to three to all the way up to eight and that's like the full octopus, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this octopus with two tentacles, and um, I think a, a space I'm familiar with is like the defense space. So right. I was like, okay, what, what's going to happen? There's going to be submarines coming at you from all sides, so you kind of have to sit in the middle and defend against them. Hmm. It's kind of like a bizarro 
tower defense, if you think about it, like mm -hmm. where instead of having the, the five lanes in Plants vs. Zombies, it's like each arm is one of the lanes, kind of. Um, so you can, so you can blow up submarines, collect DNA points, which you can um, use to buy upgrades for your arms. So you can get like, you can, like so it's a, the, the theme is evolution. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, why not just evolve one of your tentacles into a snake? So and they can shoot venom at the submarines. It's the it's the pea shooter of of, of Octagon, right? All right. And then I was like, what well, would look cool on a on an octopus like a snake in one hand and a lobster claw on the other, right? So yeah. I, like, I added lobster claw. That's kind of like the chomper. It's a close range, close range heavy damage. So you just thing. you just kept being like, what would look cool on an octopus that tentacle? Was part of and it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get an elephant trunk in there, kind of like so. so <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Like, that's like blows the submarines back. Yeah. And wow. Yeah, they, like so, I did that in forty eight hours, and then I showed it to some friends, and they were like, they were saying like, hey, this is really like they they just played. They played through the thing and then they kept kind of playing. So I was like, oh, there, maybe there's something like, I like to have like a base, a core of like a prototype of what's fun before mm -hmm. I start working on it more because I feel like, yeah, like getting it to, getting a game to that point and just like having the base of the game be fun is such a hard thing to find. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I, hmm. I haven't worked on a game yet where I've like, where I don't have the core of what's fun yet. I imagine that would be really hard. I, I, I don't know how other people do it, but, um, the thing you have isn't like fully formed yet, so you keep, the fun isn't there right away. And I, I know I know games. Some games are made this way, and then you kind of like pray and hope that in 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 completing the game and adding all the elements that are supposed to be there, the fun will appear at some point when everything meshes together. Yeah. But I generally don't work that way. I like I like to start really with like a simple framework, and I make sure that's already fun, and then I just build on that because I kind of like it sets a path that I know. At the very least, it'll be at least this fun, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting approach, I think, because, uh, and that's that's a really good transition to the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is, or the current thing that we're talking about, which is game design. Yeah. Um, and everybody obviously has different approaches to game design. And uh, here's the thing, guys. There's a Q&A thing uh, at the bottom there. Uh, if we have time, we will absolutely take some questions for George and Mark. If you have them, please put them in the Twitch chat. We've got people monitoring. Uh, but talking about game design specifically and approaches to that, uh, George, you just told us sort of what your approach is. You start with that nugget of fun and you, you expand out, which is really cool. That's a great cool. deal, yeah. Start yeah. with the fun. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Uh, Mark, is, in your experience as a magic designer, has that also been sort of where you start out with? Well, I mean, I'm in a different... My job is to take a game that's already fun <laughs> and, and, and make new versions of it. So, yeah. like, I don't have to make the... the the fun of magic is pretty baked into magic. So, I mean, I'm always trying to figure out how to make it different. Mm. So there's a different set of skills of take the same game and make variations of it versus make a brand new game. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, in some ways, George and I work in very different areas where, like, I'm like, okay, it's time to make the 100th version of magic. Why is it different this time? Yeah, how do you so, keep it? Yeah, how do you keep, keep it, it fresh? And, yeah. like, so a lot of what magic is about is, look, the core... It's not like magic's not fun. The core of magic is really, really fun. It's just how can we layer stuff on top of it? How can we do something that's a new twist on things? So it's a little bit different. I'm not, I agree with George that when you start with a brand new game, like you want the fun front and center. Uh, when you're building on a game that already kind of has the fun baked in, you start focusing on some other stuff. So when I start a game, it, or expansion, for example, it's like, well, what makes this expansion unique? Why is, why is this thing not just something we've seen before? Sure. Um, so uh, that's, that's different. Yeah I, yeah, I mean, I think not only is that different, I think there, it's, it's cool that Magic already has that nugget of fun. So when you, when you came into the building, it was like, oh, I already know this game is fun. Now all I have to do are like the other, the other things that I would normally do. Yeah. 
Yeah. Magic is like one of the most fun games I've ever played. And so like, yeah, getting to build on top of that. In some, in some sense, it feels like, wow, what can I even do mm. to make this game like better? It's almost like, wow, I don't really know where to go because there's almost no, like Magic is already such a great game. So it's like really kind of, it's been, yeah, it's been more challenging than I expected to kind of find like new things that are like just as good as what's been done before, but just feel fresh too. And, and the other thing that George is experiencing this is like George will come up with an idea and like, oh yeah, six years ago we did that. Yeah. Or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh yeah, yeah. No, we tried that uh, nine years ago on yeah. this set. And we, you know, it and all seems fresh to me, but it's like, <laughs> oh, you guys have already done that and you already know how that ended up. So, yeah. Uh, uh, talking a little bit more generally, uh, what, do you, what do you look for or uh, what, do you, what do you consider when you're designing a, uh, a good video game versus a good tabletop game? Like what's, what principles are similar? What principles are different? What do, you, uh, what do you look for when you consume it? That sort of thing. Yeah, so one of the, okay, so a key difference is like in tabletop versus uh, video game. Um, in tabletop, you, every time you have to add any like bookkeeping kind of things, like you have to be very careful about that, right? Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't go overboard in that. You have a lot more leniency when you're, when you're doing video games because mm -hmm. the computer like keeps track of everything for you. And so, um, something that I've, I've, you know, I've been like, like Magic, because it's played as, you know, a, a tabletop game or like a card game in front of like, you know, a real game in front of people, like you kind of have to make sure you're not uh, overdoing like the bookkeeping mm -hmm. aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, sure. So, whereas like a, like, a video game, you probably wouldn't think, oh, I can't, you know, it's, it's tricky if I have counters and tokens in, a, in the same set, sure, but sure. You, or, or like on too many cards in the set. But yeah, you just have to keep track of like, okay, is too much, because it's, it's really easy to like, have the player spend too much time fiddling with their dice or, or tokens, and then it kind of breaks the flow a little bit of the game, and when you're like, okay, what was I doing again? Like, you like, you start, before you attack, you're like, let me cast a bunch of things, and you're like, hey, what was my attack gonna be again? Because you wanna keep that, that flow going. Whereas in like video games, you have to worry about that a lot less. Um, in video games, you get, you, like, it's really hard to make a, a tabletop game that has to do with like Twitch reflex kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so like any game with like, any video game with action, it's, it's, it's hard to translate mm -hmm. to like a, a board game, right? Strategy is like a lot, a lot easier to do, but anything that requires like reflexes or like, okay, if you don't do this before a certain time or like, yeah, like a lot of platforming kind of concepts don't translate over. Um, something that's, I found that's, that, that tabletop games can do is like the social element is, is, is a lot easier to come by. Like um, as like, so I'm an indie, indie developer and my teams are usually like three people, right? So yes, there are multiplayer game experiences, but usually that's why a lot of indie games are usually single player, more single player experiences because once you go multiplayer, you have to build like, you need, you just need a bigger team usually and you need like to build that back end and everything. And even then it's like a lot of like, it's so easy to design like a, a, a tabletop game with like that incorporates like a cool like social experience. Like you like banter, like you like trying to, trying to decide with your teammates what you're gonna do or like having moments where like, oh, you're all laughing around the table because something funny happened in the game. Whereas like, 
that is that is a lot harder to do in in, in video games, at least mm. in the indie space for sure. Yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have not really made any video games, so I, I'm much more well versed in tabletop. Um, but one thing I know uh, that we worry a lot about from tabletop. I mean, we make magic in digital forms, and so a lot of what sure. we do is we talk about what works in digital and what works in paper as far as the magic experience. And what we find is very interesting is there's certain things that work really well on tabletop that digital magic has trouble with, and there's certain things that work like it's hard for tabletop to do it, but digital magic does it really well. And so that for us, there's a delicate balance because magic has to exist in both worlds. Right. And so like we can't make it so tabletop friendly that it's not video friendly. We can't make it too video focused that it's not tabletop friendly. So there's there's a gentle balance we have to reach there. That was yeah, that was a surprise yeah. to me. I heard people say like that's not going to work in very well in digital. I was like, oh yeah, like I hadn't <laughs> even thought thought of it that way. Like yeah. So an example is like something with like that could trigger on all different yeah. creatures or something like that, and you have yeah. to basically go through all creatures or yeah anything like where whereas in tabletop you would just like you just you would just instantly like you, you wouldn't even bring up all those prompts right that's right, well, like an example of something one of the things we talk about is like how many clicks yeah. something is yeah. oh sure so, like sure, sometimes we'll sure. make an effect and we'll go oh that's like four clicks yeah which is <laughs> i mean on a video game that's a lot of clicks yeah um because one of the things that's interesting on a tabletop is like Humans are really good at certain things and not great at others, and computers oh, are really good at some things. Yeah. And so like, there's things that computers are great at that humans aren't good at, and that's better for video, but there's things that humans are really good at that computers aren't particularly strong at. Like, the computer has to be very logical. So humans will just jump over things that don't make sense, and so we can do things in tabletop where like, oh no, they'll get the gist of it, it's okay. But once you apply it to, like once you have to spell it out and have clicks, it just becomes so complicated. So it's really weird how some things are easier in tabletop, some things are easier in video. They're just different kinds of things. Yeah, I hadn't even considered it going the other way. Yeah. That's, that's, really, that's really neat. Uh, so you've both been doing this for a long time as your, as your career, designing games, which is really cool. Uh, how do you feel like game design has changed in the last 20 years? Well, here's the first big thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm a little older than George. Uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, you didn't tell people you played games. It was like kind of something that you and your fellow game players knew that you played. <laughs> but I mean, like socially, like it wasn't, you know, you weren't proud of your game playing. It was kind of like, you know, it wasn't something where game playing was seen as this tiny niche thing. And flash forward to now, we're like, I'm a gamer, loud and proud. Like, everybody, like there's a stat I saw where they asked um, boys and girls age, I think it was 12 to 18, have you played a game in the last 30 days? Of the girls, of the boys, 99% said they had. And of the girls, 94% oh, said wow. they had. Wow. And so the, the point is like, everybody plays games. I mean, someone's on their phone, whatever. I mean, there's different sure. ways to play, but like, it's not like, oh, it's playing games this odd niche thing. Everybody plays games. There are different kinds of games, but I mean, everybody plays games. And that's one of the biggest differences is like, yeah. you can just, I play games. You can be proud of playing games. It's not, th that's such a different world um, where like, if you go way back when, it was sort of like something you did, but you didn't do it in public or it wasn't something that you were, you didn't like announce, hey, glad to meet you. I'm a gamer. That wasn't something you tended to do. So that, that to me is one of the biggest differences. Um, the other major difference is technology. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Like, like George was saying earlier about how when he started playing, like the internet wasn't really a thing. Yep. Like when Magic started, like uh, I remember when I traveled from Los Angeles to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, there were cards that they wanted to trade for that no one, like no one wanted in LA, but they really wanted them in San Francisco because the metagame oh, in San Francisco was just different. 
And the idea, like, why would you want that card? Because um, the internet wasn't really a thing yet. And so they was very, like, localized. But now I make a deck people like, somebody in Singapore can see it and play it. You know, like, it's so universal. And I think the technology and the communications has had a huge impact on how games work. In yeah. terms of design, does that... Uh is that a little bit? Is, does that present a little bit more of a challenge, knowing that there's so much shared information now that people could very much figure out exactly how to, uh, like, crowdsource how to how to best play the game or how to best conquer a level? Is that has that uh, caused any any frustration, or uh, has it just been another welcome challenge to continue to up your game? I can think of an example that does show, like, okay, here's a sign of the times how, how things have changed. So. Um, in Diablo 2 to 3, they changed how the skill system kind of worked. Mm -hmm. Where in Diablo 2, like once you allocated one of your skills, it's just like permanent, you can't, you can't undo it. Um, one of the reasons they did it the way in Diablo 3 is because information is so prevalent that people just look up the best builds anyway. Mm -hmm. So they kept the skill system in Diablo 3 a lot more freeform where you could just respec pretty much for free mm -hmm. and you could you know, you can change this skill to this one just to experiment. It lets you experiment more, which um, I think it's because, like, if it's permanent these days, you just go look it up, right? Um, if it's if it's free form, maybe it's more work. Like, maybe there's some fun in experimenting. You, maybe it's more work to like, you know, tab out of your game to go to go to like look up the best build. Or there's some people that might enjoy like, I want to find out the best build on my own, right? And that's just like. That is an example of like something that's a sign of the times. Like like mm -hmm. that that design changed from one. You know, I think there were like ten years between at least mm -hmm. between between Diablo two and Diablo three, and so yeah, that's that's an example of like here is how one of one aspect of design has changed since information became a lot more like distributed between yeah, everything. So another real famous example. So the original Minecraft, the very first Minecraft, when you played. The, like the, the even the concept that there were recipes, like you had to figure that out. It wasn't something that was a known thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the, the idea, like now, it's like, oh, well, let, let me tell you the recipes. But like when you, I remember um, Ken Nagel actually play. I mean, he was playing Minecraft like the first month it came out, yeah. and he was describing stuff to us. Uh, and he was like trying to learn things as he played because it had never happened before. You know, like like, oh, I did this, and all of a sudden this happened, and like I didn't even know you could do that. You know, and that. <laughs> Like, the, the idea of the discovery, which was just possible, like, even, you know, Minecraft, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? I mean, not even that long ago. And, like, it just, you could explore, and now it's like, you would look it up two seconds later. There's no, well, we might as well tell you the recipes, because that's not, mm -hmm. you know, the, the discovery of them is not going to be part of the game. Sure. And so th that is a huge difference. Yeah, and Minecraft, yeah. like, I remember also, if you, if you played in those first months, you had yeah. people would direct you to this YouTube video mm -hmm telling you here's how you survived the first night in Minecraft. I don't I like I think if that video didn't exist there'd be a lot fewer people yeah. playing Minecraft. So like that's another example of like okay like the internet makes well I think maybe they were they were thinking like on one hand they wanted people to do the discovery but mm -hmm. it was so like like what do you have to do first? You have to use your hand to punch a tree. <laughs> like, <laughs> not very like intuitive, right? So that's something that requires you to like watch a video. The video tells you, "Oh, press, you know, go up to a tree and punch it to get wood from it. So, like, like maybe because, my, like, the people who made Minecraft knew, like, the, the, the internet would just spread information like this, that's how it could, like, mm -hmm. that's how they could get away with, you know, not including something that, that as you know, op like, openly taught the player how to start the game. Sure. Right? So, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's a lot of, and, like, design is, uh, you guys work on, 
on some great design, and uh, we we have another different kind of design that we want to show off today. Oh, Check out that segue. <laughs> Look at that segue. Uh, yeah, we uh, we have some really cool things. I, I'm sure people noticed here uh, on the table that we've got a little play space set up, and uh, this is a these are, we're, we're showing off some minis from our friends of WizKids, uh, the Creature Forge miniature line, and uh, these are some pretty cool creature. Uh, miniatures based off of the creature tokens of magic, right, Daniel? Indeed. So uh, the things that the the ones that we're showing off today, we have three new ones and uh, two ones that have already been seen. So in the upper uh, upper part of the screen, there you can see the soldier token, which has already been seen. That's based off of the scars of Mirrodin soldier token. So mark <laughs> mark and point to it. There we go. Yep. And then uh, in the center there, we've got uh, we've got goblin tokens. Those are based on the shards of Alara Jund goblins. <laughs> And then at the very bottom we have uh, zombies, which were uh, which are based off the creature token from Ammon Ket. So yeah. Nice. So <laughs> and then uh, and then you can see we're slowly panning over to uh, you can see in the on the side of the screen there we've got sapperling tokens. Uh, those first showed up. What in sound is a sapperling? That uh, I I don't know. You're the plant expert here, George. What a uh, what, what do plants? What's the sound of a sapperling falling in the forest? <laughs> if nobody's around well, here. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, these are these are all uh, all made by WizKids, and they're going to be coming out in September uh, in randomized packs, and there will be twenty eight figures in total. So many, which is a lot, uh, a lot of figures in total. Uh, three three dollars and forty nine cents of MSRP, and those will be available, like I said, in September. And you should inquire at your local game store to uh, to see if they're gonna they're gonna be available in your area. So, uh, Daniel, you work on the franchise team. I do. And uh, this is this is a project that's very much in the franchise team's yeah. purview, right? Yeah, because we're, I mean, the franchise team, uh, we're primarily concerned with um, efforts of expanding magic beyond the card frame, and this certainly qualifies. Uh, so the thing is, it's it's difficult to see on the on the shots we have. We're getting up as, as close as we can without uh, really, really getting in and out of focus. But the detail on these figures, uh, is actually pretty amazing. I am so pleased with how they turned out. Yeah, I mean, so um, Matt Danner and I have been working with Woods Kids um, to figure out exactly, yeah, what would be the best art to translate into tiny little figures. I didn't realize they were so small. Right. Yeah, but because um, we always talked about like how you know the size. Oops, did I just pull this out of frame? No, um, you're, you're fine. How <laughs> big these would be? But I'm shocked at how tiny they are, yet how detailed they are. I yeah, think you they did a really nice job. Um, transferring all the detail from the art into these sculpts. So it's really tough to see uh, on just on camera, but when when you when everybody out there, if they do pick them up uh, and you, you actually pick them up and look at them, the level of detail on the paint we were saying okay. before the show is just amazing. If you uh, get this goblin token, for example, um, you can see that there's a there's a little. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get my my hand in frame <laughs> a little bit. You can see this uh, this skull that he wears as a as a hat. Uh, under the skull, there you can see his eyes, and it's again tough to see on camera. But there are little red pupils yeah, um, in in the eyes, and the, that level of detail is just really, really cool. I think so. We wanted to uh, we wanted to display the figures this way, at least partially to to demonstrate what they look like in a play environment, but also to show that they can be used for a lot of different things. Right? Uh, obviously, if you want to put these on top of your uh, on top of your creature tokens when you're when you're playing Magic, if you uh, if you have 
you know, a, a planeswalker that summons zombies and you want to make make a little 2-2 zombie, you can use these for that, but you can also use them for miniatures in a, in a tabletop game. You can they, they would look very good just as on your desk if yeah. you wanted to um, wanted to show off your magic, magic some, fandom uh, that way. We put some care into making sure, that, I mean, um, I, I don't know if the, you know, Alara goblin or whatever is the most iconic goblin, but one of the things we were careful about is knowing that they would be small, it's making sure that um, the different Art that we picked um, would yield very different silhouettes. So sure. that at size or on a table, when you've got a whole bunch of different characters, um, you could easily parse them and keep the and you know tell them apart um, just at a glance. And so I'm really really pleased that that was the case and that they came out this way. Yeah, and uh, to to be clear, some of us have uh, at least I I only saw these for the first time this week um, as they as they came in for the show. Uh, you know, the, like we we're focused on the goblins again here, but you can really see how how detailed they are in that shot. Um, even at a glance, and that's that's Mark's Mark's hand moving them so that you can sort of sort of see that this is indeed live. Um, Sweet. How how many of the so this is it? We've only revealed these five of the twenty. As far as far as I'm aware, yeah, I know that the okay. soldier and the spirit, which you can which Mark will move into frame. That's the spirit from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. That's the spirit. Yeah. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, we Long like to have fun. Here. We like to have fun. Uh, but yeah, it's it's amazing the level of detail on these figures, and I think the the franchise team did a great job at making sure that they would they would look very. You, when you look at these, you can you can tell which art that it is an art from a creature token. There's one. There's there's yeah. a couple that I'm I, I'm very excited about, <laughs> so yeah. hopefully you'll learn about them soon, so I can talk about them ad nauseum on right. Twitter. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I, we we obviously um, zombie goblin. We tried to key in on some creature types that tend to show up a lot. Um, so in those 28, you get a good variety, um, but there are a few in there that I'm, yeah, especially. But, but yeah, like we said, 28 different figures, randomized packs uh, coming out in September. So please inquire at your local game store so that uh, they can they can order them for you and you can have your own uh, own play space with cool magic token figures. Uh, it's really it's really great. So thank you so much to WizKids for providing these for us to show off. Uh, I'm very, very happy to get to show a cool thing on the stream. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move over to Q&A. And uh, I've, I've been routed a couple of questions from our Twitch chat. Uh, we don't have time for a whole lot of them. But uh, so, George, this one is for you. What is your favorite draft set of all time Ooh. and why? And I think this is actually a good question for all of us, too, to, to talk about our favorite draft <laughs> yeah. sets. But George especially. So... Have you heard of a draft set called Rise of the Eldrazi? Of course, <laughs> yeah. you heard of Rise of the Eldrazi. Well, you know, I was remember how I was infatuated with like the eight-eight Force of Nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, try fifteen-fifteen <laughs> in the set, right? Yeah, um, it was just like okay. I heard I heard it described as battle cruiser magic, right? Sure. Where you can just yeah. where you can just turtle up, make like build some walls, early defense, and then just like have like you know in in Rise of the Eldrazi when you cast an eight-eight Annihilator one. It's the game's not over. That's just like the beginning of the game. Like, and then you wait for your opponent to cast the next big thing, and then you're just like haymaker after haymaker. And I, and I, I think I thought that was, you know, that the excitement level was just like, was like so epic. Um, and I just like, yeah, big creatures. I'm like, you know, a good decent amount Timmy. So I, I love big creatures in general. So yeah, and uh, it just I felt like it was you know a really well balanced set had a lot of other strategies to try like there was a level defenders up. theme level you could go level up you could do like I think it was like like magic does a lot of instance and sorcery matters now but it was one of the early like you could draft a kiln theme with distortion strike and rebound it and just like attack you know for unblockable turn like you know, for two turns in a row so yeah I think I think that's got to be my favorite draft set I I made it's it's 
I made a cube for that set, so so oh, I whoa. could I could you know relive I could it. I could relive it, but I could also you know put on my designer hat and go hmm I think I want to you know I can tweak it a little bit to like make it even like even awesomer like so yeah that that's my answer for for best draft set of all time. Okay, so uh, open opening up a random any any random pack of Rise of the Eldrazi. What card are you most happy to see? Uh, for pack one, pick one. If I want to win, <laughs> it's Eldrazi Conscription. Okay, all yeah, right. Seems good. Yeah. Seems good. All right. Because it keeps me open, and it's just insane. Like it, like yeah. That's. I have yeah. fond memories of casting Eldrazi Conscription yeah. in Rise of the Eldrazi Limited. Mark, what about you? Favorite limited limited environment um, of all time? Well, I've been playing Magic since the very beginning. Yes. So nostalgia is very high for me, <laughs> and I yeah. complexity does not scare me off. So I really, really enjoy Time Spiral Block. I, I all, I've, I've drafted Time Spiral. It's yeah. a lot of fun, yeah. provided that you have the nostalgia for magic and don't mind a lot of mechanics. Yeah, so I mean, uh, knowing all the mechanics. Uh, I, I mean, Time Spiral Block is not for everybody, uh, and it's not something that we can easily do as a normal set these days. But I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I had a blast making it. I mean, Time Spiral was horrendously fun to make. Yeah. Uh, and it's just fun. I just like It's kind of like... Hey, it's every mechanic you probably have ever seen in Magic, all in one set. So, it's uh, that's my, that's my personal favorite. It's the best um, set with Squire in it. It is the best Squire set. That's yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan. I'm, I was really, really happy with how Unstable came out, and that, that's also uh, as, as far as recent drafts. Mm. That, that's the yeah, set that I've gone back, back Unstable's a lot of times. Yeah. It's true. Daniel, what about you? Uh, cons of Dark Year. All right, cons all the way. All right. I w I remember. I you know. Um, I went to like. Every pre-release, I always made a point to like make sure to clear my calendar for pre-releases. Then I was the most excited for cons, and um, that's it. Just like over and over <laughs> delivered. I, I was probably at my gaming store every Friday night to draft for that set. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, mine. Mine is. Uh, mine's a little bit of weird. It's. It's. Uh, Shards of Alara block draft. So uh, <laughs> Shards of Alara, Conflux, Alara Reborn. Uh, for one reason. The card Wall of Denial exists in Alara Reborn. <laughs> Wall of Denial is my, one so of my favorite much. magic cards of all time because there, there would always be that one draft of uh, Shards of Alara block where I would get two Wall of Denials. Oh, even better. Oh, man. I, I felt like a monster every time I played one, and when I, but when I played two, I felt like an absolute genius for going, going white-blue early on. And uh, I just have really fond memories of casting Wall of Denial from that format. It's a 0-8 Shroud for three mana. Shroud <laughs> Flying insane. Defender. Yeah, Shroud yeah, Flying insane. Defender. Like... Yeah, it's really, good really good. good it's really good. Uh, and then we've also got another question for Mark. Uh, okay. How do you balance making the game fun for the player with making the game fun for the opponent? What kind mm. of mechanics do you avoid to keep the fun from being too one-sided? Hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things that, right, one of the challenges is it is fun to beat your opponent. Uh, and so one of the things you've got to be careful of is there are certain things that's fun to do that's not that much fun to be, have done against you. Right. And so one of the things we test all the way through the process is not just were, were you having fun playing your deck, but were you having fun playing against the other person. And there's a lot of little tiny things we do. There's certain effects. Like one of the things we've learned is things that keep the opponent from playing the game aren't, in, aren't that much fun. So counter spells and stone rains and hand denial, things that we, we want in the game, but we want to be careful that like there's not so much that can build a deck of nothing but them and you just can't do anything. Um, and so there's, there's, that's the, it's a gentle balance. It's something you want to work. But I mean, when we do testing, when we do drafts, people make notes. One of the things we ask is, talk about not just what you enjoyed playing, but what you thought about things being played against you. And that's something we always monitor. Uh, I, I want to sort of extend a different version of this question to George, because working in video games, how do you 
keep things challenging against a, a non-human opponent uh, while still making sure that, that it's fun to play against a non-human opponent. So that's where the whole, a whole can of worms open. Like, yeah. So they're, yeah. They're, so fun about, in, in games is, like, is a lot of times about keeping the challenge level within a certain mm -hmm. band, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And but you don't know exactly how good at, at this game your, your player is going to be. It could, it could be like a whole range of like skill levels, right? So a lot of a tool a lot of um, video game makers use is like uh, kind of this dynamic difficulty adjustment tools where, where um, if, if you're the, the better, basically the better you're doing at the game, the game kind of scales up the difficulty to match your skill level. And you have to, I think you have to be really careful when doing this kind of stuff too, because um, if, if I can ever play a video game, like knowing like, okay, if I ever know that the game is very blatantly skilling up to match my, to match my skill, then I can just stay at a lower skill, sure. skill, perceived skill level, and beat the game quicker that way. Um, so that's like that's like where you have to kind of keep it behind the scenes. I imagine there's a lot of instances in, of dynamic game design that that are just never told to the public. One of the cool, mm -hmm. like this past GDC, I went to a talk where they kind of like like a lot of game designers divulged a bunch of their secrets. And I'm like, whoa, this is like, but this, these are for games that have been out for a long time already. But right. I just thought, like, you know, well, this is the all really cool stuff. You learned. <laughs> Um, oh, in, uh, in Bioshock, um, to make it seem more exciting, the first, okay, the enemy will come and shoot at you, but the first shot always, like, always misses, right? Interesting. So it oh. seems like they're, like, they're engaging you right away, huh. but to, um, yeah, it ups the excitement level without actually making the game more difficult, Interesting. right? So, yeah, I bet there's a ton of those things that have just never seen the light of day because, I think if players know this kind of stuff, it's just like it, it feels really cheap. It feels like really like I can you can kind of game the system a lot of times if you know too much too. The, another technique that video games use that I think is interesting is the the rating things where like you do a level and you can get you know one, two, or three stars. Yeah, I, I like and that. so the idea sure, is sure. like for the lower players, like well, I just did it. I don't, I don't. Right. But, but the more experienced players, like well, no, 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 I got to do it and yeah. get yeah. the three stars. So like it sort of lets people set their own limit for what they want. Um, and it, it makes, uh, I think it's a cool thing they do in video games to sort of like let people kind of self-set their own levels. Yeah, yeah, when you go for all three stars at once and you yeah. fail, you only have yourself to blame. So. <laughs> you have a yeah. replay value yeah. too. You're exactly. experiencing the content. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've got time for one more question. Uh, and it's, it's actually a pretty good one to end on. Uh, looking to the future of Magic, is there anything exciting that comes to mind for you, whether it be new advancements in technology or things that we can, uh, new advancements in technology or... Uh, things that we can do today that we couldn't do 10 plus years ago? Well, let me say this. So when George first came, I had to basically say, okay, George, here's the next two years worth yeah. of magic. Yeah. Right. Like, like, I'll sit you down. Yeah. Um, so is there exciting stuff coming in the next two years of magic? Yeah, I felt like one of the kids visiting Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It's like, because like every, every time, every time the spoilers posted, like I was like, you know, in... Like, I'd just be like, oh my god, it's like Christmas, right? I, I get to read all these cards. So I read like yes. eight sets worth of cards. In, yes, in like yes. the first, yeah. yeah, so, oh, there's, there's some awesome stuff coming. I don't, I mean, yeah. No, you can't, you're not going to say anything. Can't say anything. I mean, one of, one of the things we're always looking at is how to improve things, how to up things. Mm -hmm. 
uh, not just design-wise, but the, the the whole package and how technology and like, I'm not allowed to say what we're doing, but like two years from now, when you look back and you're like, okay, you're gonna like, oh my goodness, a lot happened in the last two years. So there's, there's a lot of exciting things coming. I can't tell you the, the details, but there's a lot of really exciting things and stuff that I don't think people like, from places they're not going to expect it. We're, we're, we're definitely throwing surprises from all sorts of places. So anyway. I, yeah, to go back to the yeah. earlier point about design, though, I think that's the testament of why magic is what it is. Because yeah. like 25 years in, we can still say, hey, in the next two years, there's so much exciting stuff and so many new developments that are still coming down the pipeline. It's yeah. pretty amazing. So I, I love that every time we, we have uh, Mark on and any designer from R&D, uh, that there's just always this big attitude of excitement for the future and things that are coming down the line and how we can't wait to see what our players uh, think about some of the stuff that we're doing now that they're not going to see for two years. Right. Um, right, so when I hand off a set, it's two years yeah. before the public sees it. So like, ah! Like, <laughs> I mean, you probably knew that coming in, George, but, but, but has it really hit you that the stuff you're working on now will not see the light of day? until like when, two years down the line. When someone said this set is coming out, yeah, in, you know, 2020, I was like, that seems so far away. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, yeah. Well, hopefully hopefully when the when the set comes out, we can have you back onto the show and you can talk about all the work that you actually did while you, while you were here in the that building. That should be really fun. And it'd be really fun. Yeah. Uh, Mark, George, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you being yeah. guest. Oh, Special thanks, thanks to Daniel for filling Whoa. in for Blake. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that are looking for information about next week, I do have that for you. So next week, we're going to be visiting with Matt Tabak and Melissa DeTora, two people that you might know from Wizards R&D. And uh, you're going to get a first look at the mechanics of Guilds of Ravnica, which is really cool. I'm looking forward to Guilds of Ravnica. I love Ravnica. I know that we have a lot of Ravnica fans here on this, on, on this set as well. Uh, plus, you're going to get to see a special version of the M-Files live uh, that looks at developer comments for old Ravnica cards that are going to be in the Guilds of Ravnica Guild Kit. So not only are you going to get to see a first look at the mechanics, you're also going to get a special M-Files uh, that looks at old Ravnica cards, and those cards are going to be previews for what's going to be in the Guilds of Ravnica Guild Kit. So we really hope that... Uh, that we're going to be able to fit Tay back into the studio this time. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> he's very tall. He's terribly tall. Yeah, he's very, very tall. But uh, thank you. Thank you all again. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please stay tuned for uh, Kenji Igashira coming up next, streaming some Magic the Gathering. Tune in next week. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.